Carter comes up shooting. Got it! 1.2 seconds to go! Vince Carter, you are amazing! Give it to me! A little baby black! Gabbage out of here! Alrighty, you're listening to 95 to Infinity Podcast. We have not done a podcast in months. COVID kind of hit us in the dick pretty hard. So uh, we're regrouping. <laughs> we're coming back. Raffin is a father. Um, Greg, the other podcast host, unfortunately, isn't here because he also had a daughter, Lena. So big congrats to Greg uh, expanding the 95 to Infinity podcast family. No kidding. We're, uh, we outnumber you now, Brandon. Well, Two dads to one. Well, I did get a dog, so I feel like that's sort of like up there ish no not really. i think there's a bunch of people that are listening that are um parents that just uh they just cringed because you compared owning a dog to owning a child yeah, or owning i don't, don't want to be a psychopath in the mall who has like one of those like kind of like carriers where they put their dogs inside of it instead of like walking it like a normal person just imagine like when you go for a dog walk just imagine that 24 hours a day that's what it's like having a kid well, my dog, it is like a 24-hour day job, but I do understand. I'm not comparing dogs to kids, but <laughs> yeah, my dog is a little bit of a lunatic. Alrighty, so uh, I guess the reason why we're doing a podcast uh, in the throng of the NBA offseason is that tomorrow is the NBA draft. So obviously, it's a pretty big day for NBA fans. A lot of uncertainty, though, uncertainty, though with that draft. Tomorrow, you know, I think most years, there's a consensus number one pick. Uh, this year, it's all over the map. There doesn't really seem to be a superstar at the top of the draft or even the top five. There seem to be more role guys or hypothetical upside projects. So we're going to kind of dig deep into that and try to figure out who our top 10 is through a back and forth mock. But before we do that, there were a couple of massive moves throughout the NBA within the last couple of days. And the first one we kind of want to discuss the biggest one is Drew Holiday going to the Milwaukee Bucks in the Pelicans receiving uh, Bledsoe, George Hill, three future first-round picks, two pick swaps. Drew Holiday, obviously the sexiest uh, option uh, out there for trade options or free agency. Um, what do you think of this trade value-wise uh, for the Pelicans? And how do you see Drew fitting in this team? Because, you know, talk about them also getting Bogdan Bogdanovich and flipping out Dante DiVincenzo, Ersan Eliasova, and DJ Wilson. So that's five guys off the rotation, bringing in two guys from Bogdan, Bogdan Bogdanovich and Drew Holiday. Are they depleting their bench too much? Are these things smart beyond his intel? In my opinion, I think what they did is smart. I mean, clearly Giannis wasn't happy um, after at the end of last season, and they were pretty limited with, with what they could do in terms of uh, Chris Middleton's contract and Bledsoe's contract. So the fact that they were able to move Bledsoe, um, they had to do they had to move a ton of picks to do it, but they got back the player they wanted. Um, Drew Holiday is, I think, it's most players' um, favorite defensive player. Um, they always say that he's probably one of the most underrated in the league. Hey, um, look, if they're starting five now is, is Drew Holiday, Bogdanovich, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and one of the Lopez brothers, that's pretty dangerous next year. And I don't, I'm one of those people that don't fear the, the depth of the bench because, in my opinion, Milwaukee's had too deep of a bench in the playoff runs, and it's, it's hurt them. I mean, look, Giannis played 36 minutes, I think, max in the playoffs. Uh, he's going to have to be forced. That starting five is, is going to be the one that carries them. It's not going to be their bench to a finals. And again, like I mentioned, last year of Giannis's contract, it just makes sense to shake things up totally um, and, and really go for it. I really like the Bogdan signing. Um, 
Bogdanovich is is such a good shooter. Um, look, they obviously had to give up quite a bit both ways. And this could really, really, really impact them in the future if Giannis decides to leave and they don't win this year. But you know what? I, I kind of applaud them for, for going in the win-now mode. I think the thing I enjoy the most about this trade is that it provides Milwaukee with a lot of defensive versatility. You know, you got Drew Holiday. could obviously guard one and two. He would probably guard the small four positions during the matchups because of that length. He also got you know, Giannis, you know, uh, one of the defensive players of the year, can play the obviously defend the center power four in certain cases, small forward position. And you also have Middleton who can guard, you know, the two, three, four as well. So you know have three lockdown defenders on the court who can guard arguably any player at any given time. So it does give a lot of defensive versatility. And you know, Drew Holiday is no slouch offensively, but I feel like he's a little bit more um easier to acclimate into your offense and Drew Blood. So, you know, without his ability to really extend the floor and the three-point line, you know, Drew Holiday is obviously a better shooter. Um, yeah, it's it's a, a humongous uh, acquisition Milwaukee. I'm still a little bit concerned about the bench. You know, there's not too many guys uh, off the bench that they can rely on during, you know, the second, third quarter. But again, that's a fantastic starting five. Just to, Sorry, just to confirm, Wesley Matthews is still there, right? From what I read, I think he elected option for 2.8 million dollars okay okay interesting because i i thought that that would be sort of the piece because honestly you're right like between DiVincenzo, dj wilson um Ilya sova they Go really Hill. just got rid of it yeah they got rid of everybody who from as a raptors fan seemed to be effective against us so it's pretty good trade that really shook the world when the sun's trading chris paul is like 85 million dollar contract or sorry, the Oklahoma City Thunder, I apologize. Trading Chris Paul and right. an 80-plus million-dollar contract with Abdul Nader over to the Phoenix Suns for a package including Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, Ty Jerome, uh, 22-first-round pick, and a prospect named Jalen Lack, who many people uh, are very bullish on playing in the G League right now. Um, what are your thoughts on this trade? You know, For me, I, I guess going into the offseason, getting rid of Chris Paul would have had to been like a salary dump you know, give up an additional asset just to get rid of that contract. But from what I'm seeing here, you know, they're getting Rick, Ricky Rubio. They're getting Kelly Oubre. Both guys could probably fit in their starting five. I think OKC's biggest issue was having someone starting at the three, and they get that guy in Oubre regardless of how you feel about him. Um, you know, a little bit of depth in Ty Jerome in the first-round pick, just adding more picks to the cupboard. And on the flip side, you, you're seeing Chris Paul go on the Suns. How does Chris Paul impact the Phoenix Suns? Why would they go in and get him? And how do you see him, Phoenix Suns in the pecking order of the Western Conference coming this uh, with this upcoming season? I mean, I'll start it off by saying I really, I really do like this trade for both teams. I think it gives both of them an advantage. Um, where to start? I guess for the OKC, um, I can see them trading Ricky Rubio. Um, I think Shea is the or Shea Gilgis Alexandra uh, is the future um, for that team, and he is a natural one. Um, so again, they could. Way they could either flip Rubio, um, they have enough. I don't, picks I don't see that happening though. With shooter, with shooter going for Danny Green, you know, I don't think they necessarily want to go in all, all in with Shea Gillis Alexander at the point guard position. Maybe a, a Rubio Gillis backcourt tandem. I, I think Rubio is part of their future plans. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I, I, I can see them fl- again, like I, just reading some of their fan uh, talk, or I guess, reaction to the trade. A lot of people were saying that he's one of those players now that that could be flipped. Um, 
look, in my opinion, last year, it worked with Chris Paul and Shea Gildress, right? Like they, they obviously did really, really well together. Um, Ricky Rubio is a little bit different though. Um, in the sense that it's harder for him to create his own shot. Like Chris Paul is really, really good at that. Um, so that's what I really think, uh, helped Shea, but it's his team for the future, right? Like Ricky Rubio is 30 years old. Um, I'm not quite sure. I mean, last year they finished what fifth in the West. They're, they're only looking to get better. Um, but it's a, it's an odd for me. It's about the pick. They got the 2022 pick as well. And that's a pretty coveted draft year. Um, they have tons of picks stacked now. Thanks to the Paul George trade. Um, OKC really is looking towards the future. And I think that's the main reason why I say I can see them flipping Ricky uh, Ubre. Uh, he's a great acquisition, but for Phoenix, I think the move makes so much sense just simply because of last year and what Chris Paul did for Shea Gilders Alexander. He's going to help Devin Booker in, in so many ways. And that team is so young. He's going to be the mentor there. And I don't think the contract is that bad. Um, trust me, any other team besides Phoenix wouldn't be able to take this on the, the 85 million or whatever it is over the next two years. But as soon as those two years end, ends is when a lot of the rookie contracts they have with Aiton um, and other uh, bridges, they all end then. So they have a lot more flexibility. So I think if anything, it's a two year um, look, they finished ninth. Uh, we're really good in the bubble. Um, like I said, Houston is not going to be good anymore. I think Phoenix is going to be one of those teams on the rise this year. Um, the West is a little bit more open now with all these trades. Well, we'll still confuse ourselves. The West is still for LA uh, taking, I guess, but you know, I think with this organization, especially with the young core, you know, you can't have another season with Devin Booker not making playoffs, not playing competitive basketball. Regardless if they win the NBA championship or not, which I, I think is highly unlikely, even with the acquisition of Chris Paul, I think it's been very important to put Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden in competitive situations for them to actually see the end of the road as opposed to going through the non-playoff malaise that they've been dealing with or what Devin Booker has been dealing with his entire career. I think it's very important to at least show from the front office perspective that we are interested in winning, that we're trying to make the team better and we're trying to improve the organization internally. I, I agree. I agree with that because I, I don't think they're winning anything next year, but uh, if Phoenix finishes sixth in the West next year, for that. just to break down the Thunder's pick, situation it's pretty staggering so this year they're oh gonna have the 25th and 28th and next year they have their 50th and the second they have their 53rd but going down the list next year 21 they have their own first they have the heat unprotected first as well and they also have the rockets top four protected pick as well and their own second going into 2022 they have their own first rounder top 14 protected clippers first rounder unprotected the sun's first rounder that year as well as their own second. And then after that, 23, they got the Thunder, Clipper, Heat, and their own first, and a second round. Are they their own first rounder, Clippers first rounder, unprotected, Rockets first rounder, top four protected, Grizzly second rounder? Like you're talking about potentially having top five picks in concession for the maybe three of the next five years, which is absolutely insane. Does it remind you of, uh, does it remind you of our friend Sam Hinkie? <laughs> Rami is Sam Hankey, but Presti's done a pretty admirable job of actually keeping the team afloat and making them competitive. Like, shit, they made the playoffs last year. Think about how far Philadelphia had to fall to actually accumulate those assets. You know, Sam Presti did the same thing well simultaneously competing. I don't think he gets the respect he deserves in this situation, especially with how many assets he accumulated. And, you know, like I just mentioned, making the playoffs last year, right? I mean, besides the fact that their names rhyme, they, they clearly have a lot in common. Presti and Hinky here with with the way that they like to accumulate the the look the, the the number one example I can give from all the picks that you just talked about pick next year is a top four protected pick 
But Houston, as of, you know, what, two months ago, was seen as a team that in next year was going to be a top team. They're going to be a top team for the next three to five years with Harden and and Westbrook there. And then all of a sudden this offseason happens, and now that pick slides even into the top 10. That's a huge, huge value win for them. So you never know, even though some of the picks are Clippers picks, you never know what's going to happen with Kawhi and Paul George there. Those picks can be super, super valuable down the road. Suffice to say, the Houston Rockets need to get some sort of asset in return for Russell Westbrook and when he does eventually get traded this offseason. Um, so the NBA draft obviously is tomorrow night. Big, big reason why we're doing the podcast right now. The so uh, for me personally, I kind of mentioned the start of the podcast, but there is no go-to superstar this draft. There's no LeBron James or Anthony Davis or Zion Williamson. There seems to be you know more of a... This is the most uncertain draft since 2013, at least in my opinion. You know, there's no number one pick. People have been throwing, um, you know, Lonzo Ball up there for quite some time. Sorry, LaMelo Ball for quite some time. But there doesn't really seem to be a number one lockdown guy. I know Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman were the were the consensus top picks for the, for the entire year. But a lot changes coming up to draft year. Uh, we're going to go talk about the number one pick right now. But... What is the most difficult thing for general managers and coaches to deal with when you don't have any college ball and you're just going by the eye test and, you know, watching old video and, you know, inviting guys to the gym and and, and trying to see what they can do in the NBA? Right. I mean, well, why don't you take this one, Brandon? (laughs) I I just think it's incredibly challenging to really see what a guy's true skill set is by just watching you know, pure tape of, you know, him playing and maybe like Anthony Edwards is a prime example of this. I just don't know if there's enough tape and evidence to justify the idea of Anthony Edwards being the number one overall pick. You know what I mean? And that's the uncertainty with this year, you know? Right. Well, this year, and I think the March Madness, especially. It's just, I'm sorry, I was going to say this year is the worst without March Madness. Sorry. And not really having anyone to kind of step out of the line, like in the spotlight, you know, typically kind of draft was that guy in the sort of becomes the, the hero or, or the cool pick at that time. You know what I mean? We've seen it happen years in and years out. And I feel like this would be the type of year where that guy who showed up in March Madness could be in discussion for the number one pick. But right now, there's so much concern in raw talent in this draft where there's no really discernible number one. So I'm going to take the number one overall pick. And we're talking about the Indian sort of Timberwolves. So, you know, you've got DeAndre Russell. You've got um, Carl Anthony Towns. You know, it's, it's, it's established guard, established center. You're also talking about the number one overall pick. For me, if I was in that position, I'd be looking to trade down. I think everyone in this draft realistically should be looking to trade down. But that being said, if I had the number and overall pick and I was the Minnesota Timberwolves, I would really have to consider taking LaMelo Ball with the number and overall selection. And that's so hard for me to say because I'm not the biggest fan. You hate LaMelo Ball. I do. You hate him. But for me, the reason why I take LaMelo number one is that he has one skill set that is above and beyond anyone else's individual skills for the draft, and that is his playmaking ability. He has an established skill set already as a dynamic playmaker that he's going to be able to showcase in the NBA. Obviously, there's so many issues with his game. You know what I mean? But he does pass like he's on the Harlem Globetrotters, and he knows how you know to thread the needle. He's a player. He has jacking up those ridiculous shots playing for Elwara Hawks right now. But you know, for me, I think that skill set alone makes him the number one overall pick based on so, what is available this year. Okay, so quick question. What makes him that much better than someone like Killian Hayes? 
Killian Hayes' issues with me, Killian Hayes has a higher ceiling, but a lot lower floor. Killian Hayes could become James Harden, or he could be a NBA flameout. I think with Lamella Ball, worst case scenario, you're going to get someone who can play, like can you know lead the second unit. Worst case scenario. Best case scenario, he develops a jump shot. What I like about Lamella Ball is his height. He's 6'7", 6'10", wingspan. That's the guy who can play the point guard position and guard three positions on the floor as well. We saw what a guy like Shea Gillis-Alexander can do in the NBA. And Shea Gillis-Alexander didn't come out of college as a shooter. He was more of a sort of versatile playmaker. And I think Lamella Ball, if he works on the fundamentals, specifically shooting and his defensive versatility, he could be an NBA all-star a couple years down the road. Isn't isn't the easiest comparison his brother? I feel like he's a lot. I, I, I like his. I like Lamelo a lot more than Lonzo because I feel like Lamelo's personality. You know, what I mean, his intensity toward the game is a lot more obvious than his brother's. I I, I just see him someone who could evolve. In, who has a type of personality who could evolve into a superstar? A very charismatic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Hollywood type player, as opposed to his brother, who's a little bit more subdued. Well, it's typical first child versus third child, right? Like, look at their dad. Lavar is like the most outspoken, and it just kind of like shelled Lonzo, right? Like, he was the oldest. He was probably around. And then Lamelo is the exact opposite of that. He, he you know, um, taking half court shots in high school. I saw it all the time. Um, I, I don't disagree with the pick. The only problem I see is the fit, right? Is because they, they Angelo. So I don't know how those two would work together. Uh, you're right, but we have had this discussion in the past. Look at the Oklahoma City Thunder last year with the logjam of Chig Gillisander, Chris Paul, right, and Dennis right. Schroeder, and they made it work. So, you know, on paper, you know, defensively especially, this might be an issue, but it, it would be, it'd be fun to watch. And, you know, I think they could gel together and hopefully create some sort of cohesive identity for Minnesota, which has kind of been their issue for the last couple of years or so. I, okay, I agree. Okay, two. Um, uh, you, you mentioned sort of a trade because you mentioned that most teams should be trading down here. So I'm going to give you two scenarios for number two. The one that I think is most likely to happen is that they're going to draft James Wiseman. And I would do the same thing if I were in there, if I were in their head office right now, he's um, I mean, you know me, I've been pretty high on this guy um, ever since high school. Um, someone who only played three games, but I think he already showed enough talent that he's going to dom that he would have dominated in NCAA. Um, but again, it's more about the fit. Like Golden State's going to have Curry, Thompson, Draymond Green, and even Andrew Wiggins, um, all all there playing and healthy this year. So James Wiseman would just be the easy fit. I'll give you my second scenario. Um, I can see them trading the pick. Um, again, this is a team that's in win-now mode, so they'd need a big. I can see them trading it to someone like Cleveland and trying to get someone like Kevin Love. Thoughts? Mm-hmm. I... I, it's, it's, it's tough for me. I, I think Wiseman would be the smarter pick in the long run. I love this guy's game on the Golden State Warriors. I think him and Draymond Green could become one of the most um, interesting front courts in the NBA. And I also love the story. You know, what happened to this kid in college? Complete fucking joke. You know, he grew up. Oh, yeah. With Penny Hardaway? Well, he grew up with Penny you know, he's the reason why yep. he's in Memphis in the first place. The guy loses out really because Penny paid to help his family move out of a Memphis ghetto in 2017. And this guy loses his ability to play college basketball. That's a whole different conversation. But, you know, from what everything I've read, beyond what he could do on the court, he just seems like a good, wholesome person. 
You know, it doesn't really seem like he's going to have much of an ego. His personality is not going to be a problem, especially with a lot of these upper tier guys. I just mentioned Lamella Ball. That could be an issue down the road, his ego. I do not see this out of Wiseman. But we're talking about his style of play. He is like the definition of a two-way rim runner. He can bump into a – he's not thick, versatile defender. He is working on a jump shot, but he's more of an interior banger right now. I love his game. He does seem to get a little more aggressive in the low post. I'd like to see a little more nastiness from him. But, you know, for me, that is an absolutely great selection at number two. Wiseman should be in conversation for number one. Obviously, Minnesota has 10. love that pick for Golden State. It makes a ton of sense, and I think they should make that selection, especially with how right. So going down to number three, we got the oh, – Hold on, just, just quickly – you skipped over my Kevin Love question there. If you were just answer this one, if you were to acquire one of two players, if you were Golden State with this pick, who would it be? Lamarcus Aldridge or Kevin Love? Marcus Aldridge, probably. I just, you know, we've seen Kevin Love in a situation with the super team with, you know, being the third sort of option on, you know, a super right. team. And, and, right, and it's, right. just, it's concerning, especially when he's a little bit older. You know, his legs are kind of going. The effective side of the game is not really there. You know, I'd rather have a fresher, younger guy. I trust Steve Kerr's ability to develop players. I trust the cohesion in that locker room and Wiseman sort of developing in that atmosphere. I'd rather bet on that than Kevin Love coming in. Makes sense. Okay. Who's your number three? Number three is a Charlotte Hornets, and this is an absolute no-brainer for me. Charlotte Hornets arguably have the worst roster in the NBA other than the Detroit Pistons. Not much hope, not much future. They got Monte Graham, but I don't necessarily see him being uh, a superstar guy you can build around. This is a destination for Anthony Edwards, 100%. This team needs to draft somebody who Agreed. has the ability that can be, that can, who has the highest ceiling in this draft. He mentioned that already with, with Edwards. You know, I see him um, you know, it, it's either going to be, you know, Dwayne Wade or Deion Waiters. You know what I mean? Victor Oladipo, maybe, or Deion Waiters. Um, I see more maybe as an Eric Gordon type. I don't think he's ever going to become that superstar player that people and people envision of him coming into this NBA season uh, a year ago when people are compiling their mock drafts. But I do see him, he, he's a freight train, let's say that, in transition especially. Super aggressive. He can right. get to the lane. Um, he's great at working with wide open spaces. He's a pretty decent passer as well, but his power and his ability to get to the rim is what really defines him. He needs to help his shot, his shot a little bit. Yeah, he's on a pure shooter. And when he was doing the workouts recently, that was kind of the more eye opening issue with him was his inability to just even drain the 15 footer. But beyond from that, you know, I think he's someone who has enough athleticism and Russell Westbrookian skill set to at least become a dynamic scorer on their shitty team. No, I agree. I mean, look, it's it's at the end of the day, it's Michael Jordan making this pick, right? Mm-hmm. And Anthony Edwards is, is someone that I could see him reminding himself of in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, pure score, pretty highly doubted. Um, and again, like right now, their roster's, in my opinion, pretty bad. They have like, they spent the money on Terry Rose the year, right? And but they're drastic. Like, said, Devonta Green. like, think about like PJ Washington and Bridges. You know what I mean? Those are more of complementary pieces. They're not focal point of your offense but i feel like in the situation you gotta surround those guys with that go-to offensive option right especially with how they've been drafting that yeah and they still have that nicholas batum contract too right so they're they're buried right now under that they can't really do much unless they really are willing to to take something on and i don't think that team wants to go back another year just because of that contract 
Alrighty, so let's go down to number four. You got the Chicago Bulls, another team. You know, we talked about they drafted Devin White. They've got the your favorite player in the NBA, Wendell Carter. They also have Laurie Market. And so, what do you see this team doing? They got the front court already. They've got more or less the back court established. Who do you see them selecting? Well, just simply because of based off what you said, right now there's not an immediate need. Um, you saw that Chris uh, Chris Dunn is, is opted out of his contract, but still, they're they're pretty set, like you said, for for both front court and back court in the future. So I can see them going after just simply the best available. And to me at number four, that would be Denny Avidja. Um, first Israeli born or highest Israeli born drafted player, most likely after this draft, uh, the poor man's Luka Doncic. Um, I'm surprised you didn't take him at number three, to be honest, but I can see why. Obviously, Anthony Edwards went to, went there, but I can see the Bulls um, taking a stab at Denny just simply because, look, he's he's six foot nine. He can play multiple forward spots. He, he's he's already. Um, it, it, it does sort of have that that Luka Doncic feel, and I think this guy is really good. He's an underrated passer as well. Like he's, he's smart. I guess the only question is that whole European thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I guess the real question is, did Luka Doncic break that stigma? So we'll see this draft because he will be selected in the top five, I believe. Um, So it'll be very, very interesting to see where he goes because it's all about opportunity in the NBA for rookies. Right. Uh, It all depends. In my opinion, if he goes either to Charlotte, Chicago or Cleveland, he's going to get that chance. So I'm really interested to watch this guy this year. Yeah, that's 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 a good pick. You know, I think right now the the, the issue with him is consistency with the jump shot. But you know, you put him on the Chicago Bulls, and he got so much versatility. And you make Wendell Carter a little bit expendable. And he's a guy that's really been struggling, especially last season. You know, you put together a Laurie Markkanen and Dennis Abiji front court. You know, Markkanen is always going to put on some muscle that deal with you know, the physical rigors of playing center in the NBA. But, you know, that's a very versatile uh, front court. And, you know, Kobe White, you know, is developing into a very uh, decent offensive option. Offensive first. I, I do like that selection yep. in a sense. All right, going number five, Cleveland Cavaliers. Big part of me wants to draft a guard because I'm not super big on the other, the last two guys they drafted, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland. I just don't see them being starting NBA players on the road, but I don't think you can take that other guard with this selection so for me they got to get a score they got to get someone the guards could feed the ball to in the low post and get the ball in the fucking basket and for me that's obi Topin. i just feel obi. like he's, he's he's like it makes the most sense i'm dating like i just you know 20 points per game you know what i mean he was uh, one of the most dominant scores in the seven and a half rebounds as well a little bit other size for the position at six foot nine but if you're looking for someone who can shoot from interior shoot from outside incredible athleticism a leaping ability and someone who can just simply come and put the ball in the basket he would be my vote for rookie of the year and i feel like that's the best bet for cleveland you're not talking about the highest ceiling out there but that's what they need stability and someone who can score the goddamn basket uh no i fully agree look obi Toppin or obi Toppin is man he is athletic like, it's kind of like a, I don't know, would you say something like a Bam at a bio kind of like, you know, player comparison in a way? Like, it's just this athleticism. Um, he's like a Mari Sotomayor light. He's like, that's like, I see him as like a, a, a slightly smaller version of a Mari Sotomayor. Okay. I mean, shit, that's not bad. <laughs> like, based on that athleticism and, like, and kind of who he was coming into the league, I mean, that raw sort of talent, right? You know, we're talking about a little bit of an older prospect. You know, he is 22, but, you know, I do see a little bit of right. room for development, and he's a pretty established player. 
already. So yeah, and Cleveland isn't a, has nobody that can put the fucking ball in the basket. So I do like that selection. You, uh, you're um, underestimating Andre Drummond's free throw um, practicing this, this offseason. <laughs> a game changer at 20. Um, okay. So number six. Um, so the Atlanta Hawks. I'd be surprised if they didn't trade this pick. Um, if I'm Atlanta, I'm looking to make something crazy happen right now because they're in a similar situation to me as um, Phoenix. Obviously, they've been at the bottom of the East, which is traditionally the the, the conference right now. Um and they've just been struggling. Uh, they have it. They see like I like Atlanta, right? You know me. I, I've liked the roster. I like John Collins. It's going to be different with Clint Capella next year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. But look at all the money. This team has forty-four million dollars in cap space. So I don't understand why they wouldn't try to get someone a little bit better. I know the free agents that are left that are out there aren't the best. But if you can just overpay in a way for someone like I don't. Someone who's shown potential. Um, I might even, or like Brandon Ingram, who knows, right? Like I, I would probably do that. But if I'm if I'm taking the pick, um, I'm gonna go with Tyrese Halliburton. This is someone that I think is just the next best player on the board. Yeah. I don't think there's an immediate need for the Hawks right now. Completely so in my mind, they here. take the best player, and we're even even if it's a you know if it's a trade right after they take him, I think that's just the right move. I. Is the perfect match for Trey Young. You know what I mean? He's not. Um, he's great defensively. Gr- great off the ball, great defensively, and he's an incredible playmaker as well. He's everything if Trey Young isn't as a point guard, and I feel like that's the perfect person to put beside him. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. He's the kind of guy that disappears in games, but you're up by 10, and that's the kind of guy that the Atlanta Hawks need right now. <laughs> Sam Caselli, you know, like. 14 points per game. He's going to give you five dimes and three rebounds. And that's going to be in his career. It's going to be like a better version of George Hill. But that is the exact guy that the Atlanta Hawks need right now. They need to build the guard position. Kevin Herter has not been getting it done. He was struggling as a shooter, coming in as a shooter, shooting below 40% last year. So, you know, I do like this fit. And, you know, you talk about a guy who's got height. He's six foot five, six foot eight wingspan. You know, he doesn't have that. He has that prototypical shooting guard size. So I think that's a great fit. I do enjoy that selection, man. Uh, I, I had Tyrese going to them as well. Good, good. Uh, you have, um, well, I mean, you know that I liked Halliburton from the beginning. Like, I honestly think he could be one of the best guards taken in this draft. Well, speaking of best guards at high ceiling, that's my guy number seven is Killian Hayes. Um, Kevin O'Connor had him for the ringer, uh, basketball writer for the ringer, had him number one for the majority of the season. Uh, I can see the upside. And I can see why he would put him that high. You know, you're talking about someone who is a dynamic left-hander, you know, kind of like that Manu Ginobili, James Harden sort of skill set. Very, um, very, very raw. I'm going to put it plain and simple. Very raw. Uh, he's playing for a team, Ulm, right now in France, who just from my, from what I've been hearing, they just get, like, marquee starts. They're trying to build their program. They're trying to build their program to get these elite talents from all over Europe to come to Ulm, put them in a situation where they're going to be able to score, get recognized, public spotlight and make it to the NBA. And this is their first case with Killian Hayes. The guy came in, they gave him ample opportunity to play. The issue with him is shooting. The guy shot 29% from the three-point line this year. And you can't have that from a point guard shooting guard. But from my money, he's a guy that can develop into the super, a superstar. There is No one has a higher ceiling in the shot than Killian Hayes. Um, he is an incredible playmaker. He's creative off the pick and roll. He's a decent ball handler. He has a great touch. Um, he, he's a great passion shooter. His mechanics are there. 
He's pretty active off, off the ball. Like he, he does hustle on the defensive side, but again, he's too left-handed dominant and his shooting is not where you want to be when you're selecting someone in the top 10. But based on the, the lack of depth in his draft and based on how poor the Detroit Pistons roster is, this is the most logical fit for me. Yeah, we can start calling Detroit Team France with uh, <laughs> Seku over there too, right? Like it, that, Detroit's such an interesting team, like with Blake Griffin. Like their roster is so uh, mediocre, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, Killian Hayes is perfect. Like I'm, even if he flames out, right? Even if he's not that great, I don't think it's that much of a wasted pick for them. I really don't. Like it's it's worth the risk in every possible way, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so it's, going number. Sorry, just, just another thing with that. We'll see what happens with Dwayne Casey. You know, Dwayne Casey never really a reputation for playing the younger guys off his bench. So I don't know how much long he's going to be in that team. But you know, obviously Dwayne might stunt his development. But this seems like a guy that's got to play in the developmental league for a couple of years before he even sniffs in NBA court. No, I I agree. Um, okay, so moving on to um, number eight. So I. <laughs> I'm remember I'm picking like I'm the next front office here, right? I'm not picking from my heart. Um, this is what I think is going to happen. And I don't think the Knicks front office is very smart. Um, look, I know that they changed everything up and they brought in new, new everything. I think it was, but I can see them reaching for someone like RJ Hampton here. And it sounds awful because in my opinion, I don't think RJ Hampton is I don't think he's ready right now, and I don't think he has as much of a ceiling as most other players. Well, he's basically he's the carbon copy of Romeo Langford, who went last year. Like, very similar. Yeah, and, and uh, I hate to say it, but, like, similarities to Dante Exum in a way, too. You know, so I don't... He was a guy that many people are extremely high on at the start of the season, but throughout the season, you know, he has not shown anything. Like, if anything, no one's regressed more. No one's stock has dropped more than RJ Hampton this year. Uh, I agree. He was a top five high school recruit, right? Like, in 2019, that, that he was that. And, again, like, I could see the Knicks really wanting to get someone like a point guard here. I think they need it more than they need um, a big. Because, look, with Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, um, Mitchell Robinson, like, they've got a pretty good you know, if they want to switch that way, three, four, five. So they just re- really need someone. I mean, honestly, I don't see why they wouldn't try to trade this pick and get Russell Westbrook, but like, f- fuck it. <laughs> but at the same time, um, if they want to develop through the draft and they want to go that way, um, my actual pick probably for them would be someone like, I don't know, like what my next best player would be Devin Vassell. Like, I just see him as being a really, really good player that's going to be great, you know, 3 and D to the core, great length, everything. That would be the smart pick there, but I could see them going for RJ Hampton instead. Yeah, RJ Hampton for me is someone who can't shoot, he's not a playmaker, and he can't defend. I'm not quite sure what skill set, you know, they're banking on when he comes to the NBA. But It's either him or Cole Anthony. That's who, <laughs> that's who I'm picking, the New York State uh, thinking of. All righty, we're going down the list. Uh, we got the Washington Wizards at nine, and this one is an absolute no-brainer for me. You know, you look at that roster, uh, they're obviously missing a big. They don't really have any interior presence. So for me, it's a no-brainer. It's a big man from USC, Onyeka Ongua. 
I'm pretty sure I'm butchering that, but I've watched a little bit of tape on this guy. And what I like about him <laughs> is his playmaking ability. You know, he's shades of bam out of bio. I think a lot of teams are going to reach for players who have that sort of skill set because that is the new thing. You know what I mean? Agreed. You know, you got those 3D wings were the, the most coveted thing in the NBA draft. And I think a lot of organizations are going to be looking at big guys who know how to pass that can also do a little bit of everything else. And I feel like Anyoka is probably the best example of that. You know, he, he's got versatility as a defender. He's not, you know, simply a, a big man defender. He's a big competitor. He can finish, uh, but he's a good scorer. He's got good handles for a man who's seven foot one. I feel like this is the best selection for Washington at night. No, I, I fully agree with you. I think that you nailed it when you said that that Bam Adebayo player profile is going to be the one that's sort of the next sought after. Uh, at first, it was point guards, you know, a lot of like the shooting kind, like Steph Curry. Then it was those large wings that we're getting. And then recently, it's been players that I've overhyped, like the Marvin Bagleys, that are just, you know, freakishly athletic and long, but with not as much skill. So now I can see, I mean, I, I think that this guy is probably one of the better players in the in, in the draft. I don't want to butcher his name either, but just look, man, like he, he's averaging 2.7 blocks while getting 1.2 steals. Like he can get it done on both, both sort of ways and he can guard everything, right? He can guard sort of like two through five in a way. So um, I agree. And again, people have sort of forgot that Washington with John Wall and Bradley Beal were a really, really good team. And all they needed was a big, they made bigs on that team, like uh, Ian Mahimi and stuff like that seem like they were actually good basketball players when in fact they're terrible. So when you put a good player who's skilled like this in there, I think Washington's actually, I hate to say it because the East is now getting crowded, but they're going to be good when John Wall's back, as long as he's, you know, even somewhat of a semblance of his old self. Yeah. You know, that, that that's it, right? You know, John Wall needs to have at least someone he can dish the ball off the low post. You know, he's not, I, I don't want to see John Wall hawking 30 shots a game. I think he's going to have to emphasize his playmaking ability a bit more when he comes in, especially missing a couple of years from play and, you know, probably Beal being the alpha dog on that team. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to, see, interesting to see what happens. I think, you know, Washington should probably just see if they can flip, like, John Wall. I think Bill Simmons said this, but just flip John Wall and, like, a pick to Houston for Russell Westbrook. But, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, Russell Westbrook, where is he going to end up? Um, okay, so number 10, uh, Phoenix. They just got Chris Paul, obviously. Um, Devin Booker's there. I still think, even though they have a lot of young players there, I still think they go with Devin Vassell. Um, he just is the easiest player to slot into this new sort of lineup because he can play a two or three role. Um, he's long, he's big, he shoots 41% from deep. Um, again, this guy in Florida State was a really, really, really good defender. And that whole team was just a really good defensive team. So um, in my opinion, yeah, I can see Phoenix um, move, in my opinion. I can see them being conservative here, getting I, the right player, and then just going through. From I used to be really big on basketball. But after watching some tape on him, you know, he defensively in college, he's competent, but he's got that Kyle Anderson, like slow burst off the dribble, which I think was a bit He's so skinny, and it's a really weird. But I, I get the fit and I get the need. It makes a lot of sense to me, especially with size at six foot seven and six foot ten wingspan. Just to kind of uh, drop another name, I know we're just going to the top ten, but a guy that I absolutely love, and I wish I could fit in my top ten. And 
you know, just watching these guys for the last couple of weeks or so, he's someone that became per- a personal favorite of mine. That's Tyrese Maxey of Kentucky. You were talking about a safe pick, a guy that's like on a championship team is the fourth best guy on the court. That is Maxey for me. You know, he can score. He's a great three-point shooter. Clutch. He's hustled. He's a winner. Um, you know, the issue with him is like he doesn't really have that prototypical top-end quickness you want from a guard. But you're talking about like a, a, a tough um, three-point shooting, versatile guard who can play both positions, defend both positions, who's great off the ball. Who, um, that's Tyrese Maxey. He reminds me of like a poor man's Kyle Lowry, and I think he's someone that really is going to be, you know, a couple years down the road, one of the gems in this draft. So I don't think it's that deep because I agree with you. And if I if I could shout someone out, I guess that that didn't make it. And he wouldn't really be. He might not even be in the top like twenty, to be honest with you. But I think Josh Green, um, the Australian prospect guy, um, I think he's going to be a force in the NBA because again, I, you know me, Brandon. I like the guys that are just incredibly athletic. And this guy's shown like so much. And there's you know comparisons to like the Matisse Tybolts of the world, where they're like not that great offensively coming into the league. Again, you've just seen people like Jeremy Grant and, and um, Dort who have made such an impact in the NBA and the playoffs just simply because of their defending ability and how they can defend the other team's best player that I can see someone like him coming into the NBA and being that shutdown specialist. That's a great point. I do like Josh Green out there Arizona. And I think the difference between those guys you mentioned, Dort, and uh, Matisse Thibel is that he's already a pretty good spot of three point shooter, you know? So for me, I see him in the top 15. Like, you know, I, I, I look at guys like I, I like look at some of the guys that have recently gone like all the hype, like take like Patrick Williams, for example. You know what I mean? I don't see I know, that I'm, much. Especially recently. I don't see much of a difference between Patrick Williams and green personally. And you're talking about 15 spots in most drafts. Like, selections. I, I think Josh Green is a really interesting player and I'm happy that you brought him up. He's a really complimentary guy to have on your team whether regardless if he's your fifth best starter or a specialist off the bench but every team needs a player like Josh Green. I'm, I'm trying to get him to slide so that he slides all the way down to 29 to the Raptors so uh, let's just, <laughs> just let's, let's keep that top 15 talk out of, out of here. Eh? Let's edit that out. <laughs> well, maybe we'll uh, we'll because I'm going to, I'm going to assume tomorrow we're going to draft somebody we've never heard of before, and we're just going to be praising the side because I just automatically have faith in any of that dynamics. Oh, no matter what, I'm cheering, and I'm assuming the, the, the next Luka Doncic, next next Pascal Siakam. Then let's just temper our expectations. Sure. Alrighty, fine, thank you. fine. <laughs> So thanks so much for listening, guys. We're going to hopefully be doing more podcasts later down the road. It's been kind of a crazy, hectic time for everybody with the whole COVID global outbreak thing. But, you know, we are going to try to provide... Children! <laughs> we are... And children. These guys are, are both fathers, and I am a dog father. No, I'm just kidding. So, you know, we obviously want to uh, provide you guys as much content as possible. It's going to be a pretty crazy uh, couple of weeks or so in the NBA, especially with free agency, the draft, and everything happens after the draft. So we will try to give you guys some pods. Uh, we'll be back. We need one this weekend. Get one this weekend, probably. Yeah, we have free agency on Friday, so we we should. Ready? So thank you so much for listening, guys, and catch our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes. Um, am I missing something? No. Yeah, there you go. Alrighty, <laughs> enjoy yourself, Toronto. Thank you so much for tuning in.
Yes, Miku, the man, the unsung hero. 